0: Uh, We're going to start off with our Old Testament reading, which is um, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Salah. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacca, they make it a source of spring water. Even autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob, Salah. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be at the door of the house of my God than to live in the tents of the wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of hosts.
1: Second reading is from John, it's chapter 13, verse 31, to chapter 14, verse 14, and it's found on page 993 of the Church Bibles. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I tell you, I give you a new commandment, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, Will you lay down your life for me? I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. "'If I go away and prepare a place for you, "'I will come back and receive you to myself "'so that where I am, you may be also. "'You know the way where I am going.'" "'Lord,' Thomas said, "'we don't know where you're going. "'How can we know the way?' "'Jesus told him, "'I am the way, the truth, and the life. "'No one comes to the Father except through me. "'If you know the Father, you will also know my Father.'" Sorry, if you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us
2: tonight. Father God, thank you that we can sit here in comfort. Thank you, Father, for the scriptures. Thank you that you promised that when your word goes out, it won't return empty. We thank you for your spirit who illuminates uh, the word to us uh, that convicts our hearts and minds and we pray that he do a mighty work tonight. Lord we want to be more like our Savior, we long to be more like Jesus so please change us tonight in his name. Amen. We're looking at a verse tonight which is probably uh, controversial to you, confronting to you. It's the kind of verse where you want to cut it out your Bible and you wish that Jesus hadn't said it. It's actually the verse that was a stumbling block for me coming to Christ for about 18 months. I just could not get my head around this one verse of scripture. And that is because I hadn't understood it, I hadn't understood the context of this verse, and the the comfort, the comfort that this verse is supposed to be for us. Here's the verse, it's on the screen, John 14, verse 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't you find that explosive, (laughs) extraordinary statement? Uh, Jesus is boldly saying, I am the way to God. Let me say what he's not saying. He is not saying, I am a way to God. He is not saying, I am one of many different ways to God. He is not saying, I'm here to teach you a code of conduct, so if you follow that code of conduct, then you might might possibly get to God eventually, maybe, but no certainty. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I, the person of Jesus, my works and my words, I am the way that you will be right with God. So believe me and trust me, trust in my death, trust in my resurrection, trust in my ascension, because that's the only way to be right with God. It's an explosive statement. It's a statement that's unmatched by any other religious leader in all world religions. Not Buddhism, not Hinduism, not Judaism, not Islam. It's only Christianity that claims this. And I think the second half of the verse is more hard to stomach, isn't it? If Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we say, oh, that's beautiful. But it's the exclusivity of the second half of the verse, isn't it? That no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I'm not a pluralist, I'm not a relativist, I am not a universalist, I'm an exclusivist. I'm the only way. When it comes to salvation, Jesus is the way. When it comes to revelation, Jesus is the way. When it comes to resurrection, Jesus is the way. And I know it's a very hard verse to get your head around. It's very hard to preach, it's very hard to hear. Uh, Especially in our pluralistic, multicultural, multi-ethnic world that we live in. I think the man who lives on the top floor of 74 Cumberland Street, the Rocks, is the greatest evangelist, isn't he? Put your hand if you've seen that sign. It's extraordinary. You know, buses go over the Harbour Bridge, trains go over the Harbour Bridge. People walk over the Harbour Bridge. What do they see? One way Jesus. What's he trying to convey to Sydney? John 14, verse 6 I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And my prayer for you tonight and for me tonight is as we leave this building, that rather than being confronted by this verse, rather than wanting to cut this verse out of our Bibles, we would find incredible comfort and incredible security and confidence in the person of Jesus. So in John chapter 13, let's start with verse 31. When he, that is Judas, had gone out. So Judas has just eaten the bread, Satan has entered Judas, the betrayal is about to happen, the cross is looming. When, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. How many times does that word glorify come in that verse? One, two, three, four, five. See what he's saying? He's saying at the cross of Calvary, when the Son of Man is betrayed and spat on and humiliated, when he is when he is crucified and hung up like a criminal. That is the moment of greatest glory. That's the irony of the cross, that, that God is most glorified, not at the parting of the Red Sea, and God is most glorified not at Mount Sinai, and God is most glorified not at the raising of Lazarus, and God is most glorified not when he turns water into wine, but God is most glorified where? As he watches his son, crucified. Jesus is glorified, God is glorified, because that's a moment of extreme glory. And when you've got that, when you've got that the cross is the most glorious event in history then suddenly this verse makes more sense. And you get a glimpse of the compassion and love of Jesus in verse 33. He's more concerned for his disciples than he is for himself. He says, children, or my my beloved ones, I'm with you a little while longer. I'm about to go. I'm about to die. You look for me. And just as I told the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come, and so now I tell you, but I'm telling you for comfort. And then he gives this extraordinary command in verse 34, love one another. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I reckon my two-year-old could memorize that verse, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. How we wish that word must is not there. You must love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. We'll come back to this letter. He's basically saying, if we as a church loved each other in this this selfless, sacrificial kind of way, we would be walking one way Jesus signs. You wouldn't have to put one way Jesus in your house. Just by the way that we love each other, the world would see that Jesus is the way to God. The way that we love all people would be a walking, talking demonstration of the power of the gospel. We'll come back to that later. But Peter, he can't get his head around the fact that Jesus isn't going to be there. He's been with Jesus for three years and he's far more interested in where Jesus is going than that command to love each other. Lord, he says, where are you going? It's a great question. He's saying, Jesus, are you going to Galilee? Are you going to Egypt? Where are you going? I want to come with you. He hasn't got that Jesus talking about the cross. He's, he's going to depart from this world. And Jesus says, Peter, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow later. The two key words there are now and later. He's saying, Peter, now is not the time for your death, but you will follow later. You will die later, and then you'll join me. And the irony is that Peter's going to be crucified as well. But Peter's like a faithful puppy dog, isn't he? In verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I want to go now. I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And again, it's just ringing with irony, isn't it? Peter wants to lay down his life for Jesus. He doesn't understand that Jesus must first lay down his life for Peter. Otherwise, Peter has no life. And the other irony is that, you know, Peter's not going to die for Jesus. He's going to deny him, not once, but twice, but three times. And then you get the compassion of Jesus again in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Friends, your hearts must not be troubled. Don't be anxious. Yes, I'm about to die, but don't be anxious. Trust in God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus says to the disciples, "I know where I'm going, I'm going to my father's house, and there are many dwelling places there, and I know why I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you, verse two, and I know I'm coming back again, verse three, and when I come back, verse three, I will receive you to myself so that you also may be where I am." The question in verse five is pretty natural, isn't it, Lord? We don't know where you're going. Lord, this is really confusing. Just tell us where you're going and then we'll know the way to get there. And then Jesus utters his remarkable words, Lord, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, that's the context of these verses. They're words of comfort to the disciples who don't know where he's going. And they're supposed to be words of comfort to you and to me. So how on earth are these words of comfort? I've got four words for you tonight. Here's the first one. the words of salvation. It's about your salvation, about my salvation. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the way to be saved. I'm the way to be right with God. I'm the way to be forgiven. I'm the way to be redeemed. I'm the way to be right with your maker. There is no other way. It's what Peter preached in Acts chapter 4. There is no salvation in any other name except Jesus. It's what the man at number 74, Cumberland Place, proclaims in Sydney, Note, uh, one way, Jesus. And let me just spell it out for you. His sin bearing death, his death crushing resurrection. That's where the price was paid. That's where you were redeemed. That's where you were forgiven. There is no other way to be right with God. Let's think about it a bit more. If there was any other way, do you really think that God would have sacrificed his son? If there was any other way, surely God would have taken that. If there is another way to be right with God, then the cross of Christ is not glorious, it's grotesque. If there is another way to be right with God, then then God is not merciful, he's a monster. There's only one way. And in his mercy, in his love, in his kindness, he sacrificed his son. See, when it comes to salvation, I often think that, that we think it's a bit like getting out your iPhone and you, you put in your current location, which is curability, You put in your final destiny, which is heaven. You press search and it gives you three different routes. And you choose which is best for you. It's not what the Bible teaches, is it? Let me just drive this home, how comforting this is. I, imagine that you walked out of church tonight and you saw a person who was drowning in a harbour and they're crying out to you, I'm about to die, what must I do to be saved? What are you going to say to them? If you were a Hindu walking past, what would you say to them? A Hindu would say, oh, that's pretty bad karma. <laughs> but maybe in your next reincarnation, you might have a better karma. And maybe you might, be, you might be reincarnated not once, but twice, but 24 times. And by your 24th reincarnation, you might just possibly, perhaps, maybe, no certainty be right with God. Do you find that comforting? What would a Buddhist say? They would say, have you kept the eightfold path? They would say, Right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, right understanding. If you've kept all those things, you might just possibly, perhaps, maybe, but no certainty, be right with God. Do you find that comforting? What would a, a Muslim say? You know the five pillars of Islam? Daily confession, daily prayers, paying your taxes pilgrimage to mecca and fasting during ramadan now if you've kept all those five perfectly every day of your life you might just possibly maybe but no certainty be right with god do you find that comforting now what would the christian say what must i do to be saved i hope you don't say try hard or live a good life the christian would say Trust Jesus. He's done it all. Believe he died for you. Just cling on to Jesus and he'll get you there. Now which of those do you find more comforting? Humbly come before the cross and kneel before your Savior and say, thank you for dying for me. That's what he asked for you. And I know that you know this truth. You've heard it a million times. But you've got to believe it. He's the only way. I have to say, for me, this truth is a a kind of a schizophrenic moment for me because whenever I read that verse and whenever I preach this truth, I am deeply saddened because my father died 24 years ago and he was not a believer. That is deeply sad. My brother's not a Christian. My sister's not a Christian. Most of my friends are not Christians back in the UK. And if I believe this truth, then there's this urgency and this deep desire that they hear the truth about Jesus. And then there's this this utter gratitude, like, why me out of all my family? Why choose me? Listen to how Don Carson puts it. I am the way to God. I did not come to light a path, to blaze a trail that you may simply follow in my tracks. Pursue my shadow like a prize that's cheaply won. My life reveals the life of God, the sum of all he he is and does. So how can you, the sons of night, look on me and construe my way as just the road for you to run? My path takes in Gethsemane, the cross, and stark rejection draped in agony. My way to God embraces utmost loss. Your way to God is not my way, but me. Each other path is dismal swamp or fraud. I stand alone. I am the way to God. That's the amazing comfort. Your salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. My, my second word here is revelation it 's the comfort of knowing God. Jesus said I am the truth he's saying. I haven't come to speculate, I've come to reveal. I'm not just a prophet speaking the truth. I'm not just a teacher who never lies. I am the supreme revelation, the self-expression of the God of the universe. That's there in verse 9, isn't it? Jesus says to Philip, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. He's saying, if you want to see God, just listen to my words. If you want to see God, look at my works. It's a glorious truth. that, Of course, God reveals himself partially in majestic mountain tops and beautiful sunsets and sunrises, but he reveals himself perfectly in the person of Jesus. And I hope you know that that God doesn't hide from us. I think sometimes we think that God is hiding. The, the truth of the scriptures is, is that God never hides from people; it's we who hide from God. You know, back in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sinned, who was it that did, did the hiding? God is calling out. Where are you? But we hide from God. God wants to reveal himself to us. So how is God going to reveal himself to you? By you sitting down with the scriptures and reading the words of Jesus and looking at the works of Jesus. It's a beautiful truth. With Jesus, you can know God. The third word for you is is resurrection. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the... The life, I'm the one who gives you eternal life. And when you think about your resurrection life, when you think about the afterlife, what do you think? Do you ever think verse two? In my father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come back to you and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. This has been a striking verse for me this week, thinking about heaven as a home. My father's house is a beautiful face. He doesn't say, in my father's hotel. In my father's house. Because a hotel is where you spend one night A hotel is where you have no possessions and no friends. It's just somewhere to put your head down. But a a house, a home, is with people that you love and there's familiarity. It's a picture of children living with a father who loves them and knows them and cares for them and provides them he's always with them. And he says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. So, So don't be troubled that God will run out of space and heaven isn't big enough for you. Everyone who believes will be there. So when you think about your resurrection life, what do you think about? If you're in Jesus, if you're with Jesus, you're supposed to say, I am going home. I'm going home to be with my heavenly father. Here's the word of warning. I'm about to quote some Michael Buble. I'm not going to sing it. I do love this song, though. (laughs) That's an insight into my musical tastes. Another summer day has come and gone away in Paris and in Rome. But I want to go home. I may be surrounded by a million people. I still feel all alone. I just want to go home. Another aeroplane, another sunny place. I'm lucky, I know, but I just want to go home. I've got to go home. Let me go home. I'm just too far from where you are. I want to go home. Do you ever feel like about heaven? You just want to go home? Do you ever think I want to be away from all the pain and the suffering and the misery of this world? I just want to be with my Christ and my Saviour and my Lord and I want to see God and be with God for all eternity? When Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, does that ever resonate with you? There's a man who realized that home was better by far. Being with Jesus, being with your Saviour. That's the comfort of this verse. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Let's go home. And my fourth word is relationship. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know Jesus, you've got a personal, intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's there in verse 7. If you know me, you will also know my Father. And the word there for know is the, the Adam and Eve word. They knew each other as husband and wife. God wants us to know him, not just see him, not just study him, not just observe him, but to have this intimate, personal relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus offers you. And if your own relationship with your earthly father was, was bad, or is bad, then Jesus invites you into this personal living, intimate relationship with a God who is trustworthy, who is constant, who is steadfast, who accepts you, who cares for you, who has a concern for you, who loves you. And I hope that if you're in Jesus, you've got that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. Because the disciples don't seem to get it, do they? Do you sense the sadness in Jesus' voice in verse 9? That's the tone that Jesus uses. He said to him, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? He's kind of saying to Philip, have you not been listening? You've heard me teach, you've seen the miracles, you've you've seen my compassion, and yet you just don't get it. And I was thinking, I wonder whether Jesus would have the same sadness in his voice when he spoke to us as Church by the Bridge. Oh, you you study the scriptures. But why do you treat the words of Jesus more like an instruction manual than a letter from a lover? Why do you analyze the words of Jesus to get your theology right rather than know the person who said the words? Why is your relationship with Jesus functional and transactional rather than intimate and deep and personal? If you know Jesus, you know your Father. You've got this deep, personal, beautiful, intimate relationship with God. Isn't that a comfort? I see how extraordinary this verse is. You've got salvation, you've got revelation, you've got resurrection, you've got relationship—all because of Jesus. So let me ask you: Without Jesus, what would you have? There'd be no way to God. There'd be speculation and guesswork, but not revelation. You'd have no certainty of heaven. And you'd have no relationship. It's just a religion where there's this sort of study and observation. Without Jesus, you've got nothing. But with Jesus, what have you got? You've got everything. Salvation. Revelation. Resurrection. And relationship. I say, I've got to ask you at this point have you got Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Have you come to Jesus as the way and the truth and the life? And if you have, here's the hard question Are you obeying his command? You know the command he gave before he left? as you wait for heaven, how are you supposed to live? What does he ask of you? What does he demand of you? 13 verse 34, I give you a new command. Love one another. In what sense is that command new? It's not new, really, because Deuteronomy 6 says love one another, Leviticus 19 says love one another. In what sense is this new? It's new in the sense of the The standard that Jesus sets. Love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another with this selfless, sacrificial, humble, obedient kind of love. It's new in terms of the community, the context that we're a community of redeemed, forgiven brothers and sisters. We are one family, so we're called to love one another. It's a pretty simple command, isn't it? Love one another. Let me ask you some basic comprehension questions and please call back out to me. Who are you called to love? One another. Who's the one another? Everybody. How are you called to love them? As Jesus loved them. How did Jesus love the world? Sacrificially, humbly, obediently, selflessly. Why are we called to love like this? What does the verse say? Can someone tell me? Because he's loved us and, and others will say, oh wow, they're disciples of Jesus. Let's push this. What does it mean to love one another? It doesn't just mean that we like the people that we particularly like. It doesn't just mean that we love the people who are easy to love. It doesn't just mean that we love people when we've got the time and we've got the energy and we've got the emotional capacity. It means that we love each other. It means it's tiring, it's costly, it's emotionally exhausting. It means that you love the person that you don't particularly like. It means that you love the person that you have nothing in common with apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Let me ask you, how are we doing? Honestly, how do you think we're doing as a church at loving each other? I think at 6.45, this is my analysis at 6.45, we're pretty good, aren't we? We're good at greeting people. We're good at welcoming people. But once someone's been here two or three weeks, how are we at really loving them? Do you pick up the phone and say, I've been praying for you this week? Do you talk to them on a Sunday night and say, Look, I've noticed you're a bit down. What can I do to help you? Do you actually get real and personal with each other? and get beyond the facade. And what about the person who's not part of your particular clique? Let me speak really directly here tonight. In the last six months, there are so many young married couples who've come to 645, and that is wonderful. Let's praise God for that. But let's not be a congregation that just all the young married cliques hang out with each other. Let's be diverse, shall we, in who we love. And let's love each other in this really costly way where we say, I'm going to give up my Wednesday night to to cook a meal for that person who is in desperate need tonight. Love each other by coming to church. Love each other by turning up early. Love each other by hanging around. And love the person who's got absolutely nothing in common with you. And that is hard. Hard. John Piper says this this command is overwhelming it seems to demand that i tear the skin off my body and wrap it around another person so i feel that i am that other person and all the longs i have for my own personal self safety my own health my own success my own happiness i must now feel for that other person it's staggering If this is what it means, then something unbelievably powerful and earth-shaking and reconstructing and overturning needs to happen to my soul. Something well beyond what self-preserving, self-enhancing, self-exalting, self-esteeming, self-advancing fallen human beings like me can do on their own. And what I need is Jesus. Isn't that right? We need to see Jesus, to love Jesus, to dwell in Jesus, to learn from him how to love each other. I saw love in action this week. Somebody's given up their spare bedroom just to put up somebody who needs someone to stay. That's the love in action, isn't it? I saw love in action by somebody who drives somebody else home every single Sunday night. And these people are so different from each other. But he cares for that couple. And we sing about it, show me how to love like you have loved me. We might even raise our hands when we sing that line. Are we going to actually do it? Are we going to actually apply it? And it starts tonight, doesn't it? Please don't talk about loving each other, let's do it. Over supper tonight, who are you going to talk to? Please don't ignore the person who's standing by themselves. Just as I have loved you, you must. See that word, we must. No opt out clause. We must love one another. That's the the command. And then the promise is down in chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. If we're in Jesus, if he's our way, our truth, our life, if we're in a relationship with Jesus, if we're loving each other, what is the promise? I assure you, says Jesus, the one who believes in me, that's you and I, will also do the works that I do. What did Jesus do? He saved souls. He proclaimed the truth. He lived a life of humility and compassion and kindness. And he would do even greater works than these. Not greater in extent or in more spectacular, but greater in their impact. By the way that we love each other, the the kingdom could mushroom. We could have thousands of people coming to Christ because we as a church are loving each other like this. We're doing the work of Jesus. We're saving souls. And whatever you ask in my name, make sure it's according to the character and teaching of Jesus. As you pray, God will answer that prayer so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, so that Jesus might be honoured and God might be praised. So pray and proclaim the gospel and do these greater works so the world may see that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Now, do you see that verse again? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And my prayer that you would leave here comforted, I'm not want you cut that verse out of your Bibles. Let me pray. Give you time by yourself just to reflect on times when you haven't loved well. Lord Jesus, please help us to love one another as you have loved us. Please show us ways we can do that in practical ways. Please help us to get rid of any pride or selfish ambition and to love people in a selfless sacrificial way. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for revealing the truth to us. Thank you for the promise of heaven. Lord, we do long to be home with you. But whilst we're here, Lord, help us to love one another and keep on declaring the gospel. In Jesus' name.